people forget that it's the kingdom of God and not the Republic of the laity. Welcome to the Pints and Pews podcast. I'm your co-host, Dennis. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And we're just a couple guys talking the Catholic faith over a pint or two of our favorite beers. So why don't you pour yourself a pint, pull up a chair, and listen in for the next little while. As we take the faith seriously, but not necessarily ourselves. And as always, if you want to take part in the conversation or have an idea for the podcast, please leave us a comment or swing by our Facebook page and drop us a message. Dennis, buddy, how are you doing this afternoon? Good, good, Robert. May, this would be a day for a pint or two. You know, it's uh, Thanksgiving for our American cousins down south. It's Black Friday today. So uh, I hope you've done all your shopping and it would be great to have a pint or two, but we both got other the places to go this evening. So it'll probably just be a pint today. Yeah. Things to do people to see. We'll have one pint on the show, but I'm sure there'll be a couple pints later this yeah, evening as well. Yeah, there'll be a couple well. pints later. Have you done all your shopping? Get any Black Friday bargains? I, I did a little bit of shopping online today. I mean, Fridays are my day off from parish work so right. yeah i was sitting at the keyboard and did some keyboard shopping i think i might get away with not having to visit the mall this year wow for my shopping do you remember when we had to go out well you know what like and we should remind people uh, many of our listeners of course are american black friday was we we never heard of growing up you never did anything on the American Thanksgiving. Like there was no sales or anything. It was always Boxing Day to the day after Christmas. And just, I'd say, within the last five or 10 years, see more and more Black Friday sales. But now you're right. I don't think you even have to go anywhere to get any deals. You just go online and you get all the same deals. Yeah, 100%. Now for us growing up up here in Canada, uh, we didn't have as much American influence at the time because I don't know about you. I think we had three TV channels growing up. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe public broadcasting out of Buffalo, if the clouds were in the right formation, the wind was blowing in the right direction, and I could get my younger sister to hang off the TV antenna, we might be able to pick up PBS. Yeah, we got PBS, but I was a little bit different. We had cable, so I definitely got the CBS, ABC, and NBC local affiliates. You lived in the life of luxury there. We got Irv Weinstein. It's eleven o'clock. Do you know where your children are? You don't remember that growing up from, you know, from Buffalo. No, no, no. Anyhow, yeah. So we did get the American channels. We got the American, you know, commercials. We got all the American programming. Thank God. What would I've done without Happy Days and Three's Company and all those shows growing up? You would have been watching the Beachcombers, Danger Bay, <laughs> and that's why I never watched Beachcombers. Maybe um, The Littlest Hobo, but never Beachcombers. Oh, my father-in-law, and I was going to mention my father-in-law later in the show today. My father-in-law loves The Littlest Hobo. Oh, I love that. To the point where every time we go to visit, there's like a Littlest Hobo marathon. And we watch the same episodes time after time love after that time show, in, eh? in the that same order. German Shepherd going on. And, and then my wife found, uh, I don't know what channel it's on. But my wife found daily that there are back to back to back to back Littlest Hobos, like four half hour episodes. Yeah, you got to tell me what channels those are because you know I'm off in the afternoon, so I definitely have to watch them. Speaking of watching in the afternoons, this is the second broadcast in a row, podcast, Robert, that you've caught me while my games are on. Last time, I think the Raptors and Leafs were on. Of course, it's a Friday afternoon here. 
in outside of Toronto and the Leafs are playing on Friday afternoon, which they never do, but because they're in the States and they're playing on Black Friday, there's an afternoon game. So I think you're doing this on purpose that I can't, but I did get to watch the Great Cup, the 110th edition of the Great Cup, of which the Montreal Alouettes beat Winnipeg Blue Bombers last Sunday. So excellent football game. So at least I got that and you didn't have a podcast for that day. Yeah, and again, for our American listeners, the Great Cup, I guess, is the Canadian equivalent of the Super Bowl. I think our, our American cousins yeah. to the south saw the Grey Cup happen in November, got so excited about it. So that's why they rolled out the Super Bowl in January. Super Bowl, right? Yeah, yeah, it does. Pre- yeah, it's 110th edition. So it, it's well before the Super Bowl is what, 50, 55 years maybe now. But yeah, it's uh, obviously the product is not as good. As it's you know, the NFL, but the different. the actual Grey Cup game is always an exciting game. We we watched it growing up. It was always a big, big in my house growing Cup up. Party. It was a two, it was a whole weekend event. It wow, started wow. it started Saturday afternoon at our house. All my I parents friends came came yep. by, and then I, I don't. Last man standing got to watch the game on Sunday afternoon, and, and it was always a great. And we went, we went with same thing with the Irish crowd and up here in Toronto, and it was always a great Sunday afternoon. A lot of drinking, not for us, of course, because we well, I was going to say that's when I, I had my first uh, taste of the pint. Was probably oh, at a great cup party. Speaking of the taste of the pint, didn't I? You you sent you sent me a, a photo yesterday of one of our. Most, uh, I guess, one of the, the most the popular most beers I- of the seventies. And I saw 70s. a guy in front of me as I was just at the super supermarket, and he, and he had a six pack of blue. You sent me a pint of fifty beers we would probably drink growing up or in our teens, late teens, and early twenties, and now we wouldn't go near. Isn't that because there was only two choices growing up? There right? was about three or four, but there wasn't a lot. Boy, how how our palates have matured, I guess, because we've got a couple of good ones on top today. I know I do. Yeah, oh, I'm looking forward to mine as well. I was just going to say our pounds have matured just like our hairlines, especially yours. Time for a little haircut. Just don't I take did that. I, I I went and saw Charlie the Chopper this yeah, morning. Yeah, did a good job, but you can't go any more off the top. I do like the sides and the the top. But oh no, yeah, no, like he he barely touched. Like, buddy, if that receding hairline gets any further back, I don't know what we're going to do. Yeah, well, you know, we'll put out an, an APB. You know, <laughs> mi- mi- missing hairline, unlike unlike mine, which is. Fully intact, almost. Yeah, you know, all three hairs. You can push that as forward as much as you want. It's still <laughs> not covering up all that real estate, buddy. Why don't we get one of those toupees? They used to be so popular in the seventies in the great great cup days. That's for sure. The old great cups. Oh, oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, maybe maybe there'll be one under the tree for you for Christmas. Oh, that would be so nice. I'll mention yeah, that the next time you're brushing Bixby. Yeah, just save a little save bit of all that, that fur hair. And, yeah. and weave it together, and there you go. But he's a reddish golden retriever. I got a magic marker. We can fix that. We can die. (laughs) We can fix that for for you. So listen, buddy, I'm really stoked about a couple of things here. Um, Really stoked. We were going to make a a bit of an announcement here today. Yes. So you have some great news for our listeners. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I put out on the the book of faces, I'd taken a picture of my Catholic beer drinking shirt Mm. that has our end tagline from gk chesterton on it you know that's facebook for our listeners yep (laughs) uh and and that's usually your line right at the end of the podcast right what's that the wise words of gk chesterton the pint the pipe and the cross can all fit together exactly and so there were a couple of uh comments on there like love the shirt where can i get one of these and i went looking to where i picked up my shirt from they don't make them anymore Hmm. right 
And so then my wheels started turning, well, okay, they're not making these shirts anymore. Because I would like to plug a, a Catholic company wherever I can. But this Catholic company is not making the shirts. And so I reached out to you because your brother is in the apparel business. Mm-hmm. And so coming soon for Advent, you know, God willing, we'd be able to get them out to people by Christmas. But coming soon for Advent 2023, our very Drum own, roll, please. Our very own pints and pews in Catholicism, the pint, the pipe, and the cross can all fit together t-shirts. Yes, pints and pews and G.K. Chesterton's famous quote on it, uh, beautifully designed by your sister, Robert, who put together the design. Now, if we can just get that onto T-shirts, and we have to pick the right sizes so we can sell some of those T-shirts. And I think, I believe you're going to offer a little discount for the first month, are you not? Yeah, so I'm. they're going to be available on catholicmoment.ca in the shop there. And I'll put the link up in the Facebook page and Instagram, but catholicmoment.ca in the shop. Uh, very soon you'll be able to see the, the shirts there. Uh, you can pick them up. If you use the promo code, the coupon code, ADVENT2023, 20% off. You told me it was going to be Dennis is great. The promo code. Okay, Advent but 2023 I'm, works. I'm not going to want to have to go to confession after putting <laughs> that other one up, right? 20% off, that's great. But that, of course, because we don't know where they're going, doesn't include shipping will be added to your cost, correct? Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, we, uh, we do have to cover the, the we cost We do have to cover shipping. the cost of the t-shirts, yeah. Right. So, but no, we're getting really stoked about that. Really excited to get those out. Mm-hmm. My family's done their side of the bargain. We've got the... The graphic all ready to go. Yep. We're just waiting for your brother uh, to come he, back from. He was on a little vacay. Vacay in Florida, enjoying the sun, but he gets back this weekend. So we'll get him on started on that on Monday morning. Good. And as well, um, with regards to those t-shirts, we just have to, of course, pick out sizes. I bought a little nice kind of lumber jacket yesterday and it was a large. So I'm thinking as large as probably small as we could go, if that yeah. makes sense. You're maybe, maybe large in the shoulders and extra large in the yeah, the, the Molson muscle there, buddy. The Molson. <laughs> we'll go large, extra large, and probably an XXL because XXLs aren't that big. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, the other thing I'm stoked about and wanted to share today as we're both getting a little bit thirsty is mm-hmm. I finally, I finally stopped by the Good. craft brewery in Brooklyn. Beautiful. Ban- Banter and Company. And I walked in there and I said, you know, I'm, I'm looking to pick up a few beers. Uh, it's getting colder. I'd like the dark stuff, but I really nice. don't know what your beers are like. Mm. And so the the girl behind the bar poured me four tasters of four of their different beers from an, an amber to a dark IPA to a porter. And today I'll be drinking the Banter and Company Brewing Irish Stout. Irish Stout. So oh. I'm, I'm, all four of them were absolutely fantastic. So I ended up buying... Uh, all four of them. I got to get out to the Brooklyn Brewery. But uh, no, I absolutely loved this one when I had the, the taste of it. You got to love one on the can. Mm. It says pour vigorously. Right. And it talks about, you know, n- notes of chocolate. It's just a, a nice. Oh, look at that. That looks like a Guinness. It's in a Guinness Irish glass. Stout. Yeah. yeah but... Let me see the uh, can again. Robert. Hold on a second there. Why don't you? uh, So it's the Banter and Company Irish Stout. 
and it very Canada. much is a uh, and that's for our american listeners that's brooklyn in as opposed to yn in new york well when we were living there like that was constant every time we said we lived in brooklyn they're like oh what are you doing up here no no we just live around the corner right well that's got to be new I, i've never heard of that brewery and it's just south it's of been you. there maybe two or three years <laughs> okay, now and i've okay, been wanting okay. to get in i tried to stop by the one day and of course it was on a monday which is the day that they're closed of course. Go figure, right? Go, but no, they were absolutely fantastic when I went in there. Let me taste as much as I, I want to say as much as I wanted. Uh, if they'd let me taste as much as I wanted, I would have had four pints. Uh, but four fantastic beers coming mm. out of there. Um, but really wanted to highlight this Irish stout here today. They didn't give you a freebie if you said you promote it? No. I said we would promote it. They're looking forward to it. So we're going to tag them in the social media world. Good. And... Um, yeah, maybe next time. Who knows uh, if they want us to highlight more of their beers or we could maybe do a live, you know, on location in there one day as well. Oh, absolutely. It would, yeah. would be a lot of fun. What are you drinking today, sir? I think we've had this. I might have had this a couple of years ago. I think you definitely have had this. This is from Italy, Peroni. I don't think I've ever had that on no, the show. I, I, maybe I, you did. I think maybe a couple of years ago, Robert, but I was just looking at the different beers and I thought, you know, I think, I think I'd like to go Italian today. Uh, and, you know, honor of our many Italian friends up here in the Toronto area, including Deacon Dominic, who we spoke about, uh, who passed away a couple of weeks ago. And we, we dearly remember him. And uh, we both had a great time with him and he died quite suddenly. So we didn't get a chance to, you know, talk about him quite, uh, as much as maybe we wanted to, because we did have our guests last time. But yeah, good man. So I picked up this Peroni at the local store, and um, this is I think a nice that's gold clear. And, yeah, and, yeah, and clear. I think I've had those before. Uh, absolutely, absolutely wonderful beer. So why don't we get? Uh, we'll say grace before beer, yes, so that we can turn, uh, imbibe here. Mm-hmm. I think you've been the last couple of times, so uh, yeah, yeah, I've got that go ready right to go. In the name of the Father, Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bless, O Lord, this creature beer, which thou hast deigned to produce from the fat of grain, that it may be a salutary remedy to the human race, and grant through the invocation of thy holy name, that whoever shall drink it may gain health and body and peace and soul. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Oh, that's nice and smooth. Nice. Mm. That's good. It's a little warm now after 10, 15 minutes, but nonetheless, it's good. If anything, I need to allow mine to to warm up a Mm. little bit more. Yeah, because Guinness, although I always have it the same as my uh, lagers and pilsners and ales, it should be, well, it shouldn't be like an ale, but it should be a little bit warmer than our regular lagers. I even took mine out 15, 20 minutes before we started. Yeah, I think I took mine about 10. Okay, sir, what do we have on the show today? Well, we were both gave a listen to our friend uh, Keith Little over at the mm-hmm. Cordial Catholic, and he was talking about, you know, everything that is wrong with the RCIA. Him and Taylor Schroll over at Forte Catholic. <laughs> Everything you that's didn't... wrong with RCIA. I don't think you told me about that. And I discovered that on my own. And I thought that I was trying to figure out all the stuff that we're doing to make sure we're not doing the stuff that he says don't do. 
What do you mean we? I was just going to highlight that one session from a couple of weeks ago there that uh, was uh, uh, the one on the church hierarchy. Mm. You know, talk about hit them over uh, yeah, the I heard, head with the I heard university. He was a, boy, I heard he was a really good speaker, that guy. I, could, I don't know. I couldn't hear him over the sound of everybody snoring. <laughs> okay, I didn't put on a PowerPoint. That would have really killed them. Oh, no, you, you did a bang-up job. You know what, Robert? And I think we briefly touched upon this, I want to say, maybe first or second season. But I thought, time for a little refresher. There's so much in it. There's so much there that we can talk about in terms of the church hierarchy, the church structure, the magisterium. You know, people hear this word and they get, a lot of people get all uptight about it and stuff. But I think it's, you know, nothing to be fearful yeah, of, that's well, for sure. Oh, for sure. And I think it's timely in a certain way mm -hmm. uh number one it's timely because you just did speak about this and we want to make sure that you speak on it again before uh, you know memory at your age kind of disappears and and on that point absolutely so we're just going through a little lunch and learn before i got home talking about you know uh church resources for us teaching religion and isn't there i don't know if you've ever heard of this room magisterium ai so it will oh, pick really? up it will pick up all the kids works if they used the catechism of the Catholic church, any encyclicals, the Bible, any sort of church councils that are talked about, they will pick that. It's magisterium. And I'm like, look at this. Now that I'm leaving, you got this. Perfect. So wow. it'll pick up if the kids have just, you know, did a copy, plagiarized copy, a couple of sections of the catechism or something like that. Yeah. I just would have figured that you as a religion teacher would have known if they've plagiarized from the catechism because maybe you've so read it before. Got to memorized, of course, yeah. I don't know, that compendium that you were giving out to the catechumens looked pretty thick, never mind the regular uh, catechism. Yeah. But no, I think it's just timely too that we're, we're bringing this up and, and not that we're going to go into this subject whatsoever because nobody has time for this rabbit hole. Right. But I think there's a lot of people who have been looking at the hierarchy of the Catholic Church in the past couple of weeks mm -hmm. uh, with what happened out in Texas there yep. with uh, Bishop, Bishop, Strickland. Str Bishop Strickland being mm -hmm. removed from office. And some of the fear over that and just before you get into all of the nuts and bolts of the, the church mm -hmm. hierarchy, but I think some of the fear that surrounds those kind of things is that people forget that it's the kingdom of God and not the republic of the laity. Right, right. And so many times we approach church hierarchy with that democratic mindset, and we want to see it run like uh, a human institution. We want to see it run like a democratic government we want to see it run like um you know a multinational organization kind of thing which really it isn't no and i think that was cardinal i want to say cardinal ambrosic's comment the previous one before cardinal collins was the church is not a democracy i think that was one of his quotes and and that's the case in point that you're making it is not a democracy it's run well there's a reason that it's set up the way it is and um, yes, and Bishop Strickland was removed from his office. He was not laicized, right? Robert, no, correct me. He no, was no, he was just from his, removed from yeah. office. Yeah. And I, like I said, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. First and foremost, because I myself really don't know all the ins no, and outs. Yeah. And so anything we would have to say would just be heresy and heresy, and heresy uh, rolled into yeah. one. Uh, but right. we will talk about the role of the bishop and the role of the cardinal and the role of the priest. Yeah. And so deacon. Where, did, mm -hmm. where did you want to start? Let's start at the top. With the Pints and Pews podcast. 
<laughs> the man in charge, Pope Francis. Mm -hmm. So Who, he is part of the magisterium along with his fellow bishops, correct? Correct. And maybe for our listeners, we can just quickly, because uh, you've thrown that word around a couple mm -hmm. times right now, this very, very quickly definition of the magisterium. The teaching office or teaching authority of the church. And as I recently learned, ordinary magisterium and extraordinary magisterium. Really? Okay, I've never yeah. heard those two terms before. I know, and I, I was just looking up, and I, I hope you had, but um, I believe ordinary magisterium would just be the church, uh, the Pope making decisions along with the bishops, extraordinary magisterium when he calls a council of all bishops together. I think that was the gist I was getting it, but you're right, it's not often used. But it is the teaching authority, and why is it there? It is there for to... Protect the, to protect the faithful. Protect the deposit of the faith, correct? Yeah. And it is there because this is part of our tradition. We are people of the Bible, but we are also people of tradition. Yeah. And it comes down to, we need to have that magisterium. Yeah. We need to have that teaching authority because we need to have someone to turn to to help us interpret yeah. Scripture. We need to turn to someone to help us interpret church teaching, right? Because otherwise, we're going to go absolutely mad bonkers, or maybe even more mad bonkers than you and I already are, mm -hmm. trying to be our own magisterium, trying to be our own pope, being That's the right. one that makes these decisions all And you've always said that, right? That's so good about being a Catholic, is we don't have to be that, our own magisterium, our own pope. 100%, 100%, because at the end of the day, to be quite honest, I think the vast majority of the laity does not have the competence to do that. We have access to the internet. I mean, there's the magisterium of Google, yep. which, you know, so many people take their Google search uh, as a higher authority than, you know, the multiple doctorates that most of the curia have. Right, right. And we believe that when they make those decisions or they, they are speaking when on matters of faith and morals infallible we could mention that word infallible which is very rarely used in the church or has been rarely used yeah and we were talking about this mm -hmm. the other day it's like you know, maybe once every hundred years where the pope again in consultation with the bishops mm -hmm. right and guided by the holy spirit will make a pronouncement of doctrine Ex cathedra from mm -hmm. the seat of Peter, from the chair of St. Peter, yeah, right. Um, but really, assumption of Mary in 1950 that's really about it. And I think the actual statement of infallibility only came around in 1870, I believe. Exactly, Vatican Council One mm -hmm. is, is right. when that was actually pronounced. Now, that being said, that's when it was pronounced, however, it was understood to be in place. Right from the very first right. council, which we can find in the Acts of the Apostles. Right. And then that was the point uh, that Father was making the other night, too, is that a lot of these things that are stated publicly, we've always believed throughout, throughout two millennia. That's right. And uh, oftentimes they're stated uh, as a response to an attack on yes. Church doctrine, either to shore up church doctrine, or there's a heresy of some sort. Correct, Robert. But how did so the Pope gets into that position through his brother cardinals, and um, he's voted. Yes, I want to say majority, two thirds. I can't remember now. 
I want to say it's two thirds majority. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, again. and then he becomes pope. Um, is uh, and then the white smoke goes up, and he is now the person in charge. They're all voting over under the age of eighty years of age, which you pointed out. I was quite surprised at the number of cardinals who are of a non-voting age. Yeah, Did and you say there's about two hundred thirty or two hundred forty cardinals. Yes, of which maybe about 130, 150 right. are, are voting age. I think you said about 130. So there's almost 100 cardinals who are no longer able to vote. Our recently retired cardinal, Cardinal Collins, is still eligible to vote, correct? Correct. But, correct. Yep. But on the other hand, that's not surprising when you look at the fact that the, most of the cardinals you know, came into that position Late fifties at the youngest. At the but youngest, if, mostly sixties and seventies. You're right, exactly right. And retirement age for bishop is seventy five. Right. And so, yeah, it's not surprising that there are so many over the age of eighty, which is a blessing that there's actually that longevity mm-hmm. there as well. And if you look at the cardinals in the church, Robert, there are really only three types. Right? There's the cardinal who's usually an archbishop of a large city. There's a cardinal who's usually a papal envoy or papal nuncio to another country. And then there's the cardinals in the Roman Curia. Other than that, it's probably not a lot of other cardinals with different positions than those, correct? Correct, correct. And we have to remember that uh, the title of cardinal uh, is really just a, I don't want to say it's an honorary position because they do take on these positions of greater responsibility. It's certainly an honored position, but yeah. But we have to remember that from the Pope on down through the Cardinals, I mean, they're all bishops. They're all bishops, correct. Yep. Right. Right. And it's almost just a different leveling of of the bishops. But the Pope himself is simply the Bishop of Rome. Right. And once the Bishop, the Archbishop of Buenos Aires, I would imagine. Archbishop? Yeah. I would say probably Archbishop of yep. Buenos Aires. And I know we were going to talk a little bit about that later, the difference between mm-hmm. a, a bishop an and an archbishop. And a, yep, for sure. Right, or a diocese and, a, and an archdiocese. An archdiocese, yep. Right. So that would be the uh, thing. So the Pope gets elected and then has to, and does not have to resign. Obviously, Pope Benedict being one of the, Pope Benedict XVI being one of the few that did resign. But I think um, he's one of two or three that resigned, and he was the first yeah, one in, what, 400, 400 years? 400 years or something. Yeah, but no age, like, I don't know, resignation, I don't blame Pope Benedict if he felt he wasn't up to the job. Maybe Pope Francis might go down the same route, I don't know. Um, and that's the odd thing, because generally a bishop, yeah, up to and including the cardinals that, that we were talking about, at the age of 75, tender their resignation or tender their retirement right. papers. Right. right, tender them. They don't always have to be accepted, but why not let the bishop go as long as they feel they're capable of if the Pope, certainly the Pope would be a more important job than a bishop, correct? Oh, for sure. Oversee the whole entire church, yeah. For sure. But again, uh, I don't think we can take anything away from, say, for example, the the papacy of St. John Paul II, mm-hmm. um, is what a beautiful witness he was in his later years. Mm-hmm. Of his papacy. Uh, I heard someone say that he used his latter years of his papacy to show us how to suffer and die with dignity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he certainly did. And especially in this day and age, his papacy lasted over, what, quarter of a century? And certainly those last years would give us quite uh, pause today when we look at stuff like 
medical insistence in dying in uh, Canada, at least, which is the law now, but that's no, for, for another sure. show, I suppose. For sure. Mm-hmm. So let's touch quickly upon just then the difference between diocese and archdiocese so that we can have that notion of the difference between bishop Correct. and archbishop, because this is really something that you and I learned just in the last year or so. Well, I, I've always no, I've always based it and told the kids that it was based on really geography for the most part, is it not? When you are in charge of a archdiocese, you are a much in a larger geographical area than a simple diocese, but you brought up a a good a sense of history um, the other night regarding that. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily have to deal with size. So the, the notion of diocese and archdiocese really has nothing to do with the population. I think maybe by coincidence and just because of the way that they are differentiated, it does seem like it's based on population. It, does, but it, it seems like it's gravitated towards that today. It is more... Yeah into a one of a large geographical areas more of an archdiocese whereas a smaller one i don't know if any large city is still called a diocese but maybe it is i i would go more on the population and then geographical size because okay. i think we could have True. some di- some dioceses here in canada Good that point. are just geographically enormous that's an excellent point Robert. where yeah. our own archdiocese of toronto geographically within canada is you know, square kilometer or square mile. Yeah. Why is it still it's, big? It's much it, but maybe in European population. size, but not in North American size. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. But on, on population. And so the difference comes is that the archdiocese would have been the original diocese in that area. And then the diocese would be ones that have splintered off from them. Mm-hmm. See, I just wonder about that too, because wasn't Kingston one of the first dioceses here? And then Toronto, the York at one time before York became Toronto, ended up being bigger and then got the archdiocese status, whereas Kingston, which is about a couple hundred kilometers east of Toronto, is still a diocese. Is it, it's or no? still considered a diocese. It's, it's still considered a diocese. You know where I'm, that might be because originally here in Canada, there was only one back. diocese. It was, it was the We were the Diocese of Quebec. Mm-hmm. And that stretched quite a bit. From sea to sea to sea. Yeah. Yeah, right. and south as well, right? That was and it would have gone as south States. down yep. to Louisiana. Yeah, we're caught talking three, four hundred years ago for sure. When Dennis was in kindergarten, when I was so, just a youngin. <laughs> there we go. So, you know, Quebec was the original diocese, so it's now the Archdiocese of Quebec, from which splintered others, including so, Kingston, as you mentioned. So, would Archdiocese Toronto, in, would Archdiocese Quebec have an Archdiocese in Quebec and an Archdiocese in Montreal? Would there two, be two yeah, Archdioceses? Yeah, but that's only because it would have been one time the Archdiocese of Quebec and then the Diocese of Montreal. But then afterwards, you would have seen other dioceses splinter off of that of mm-hmm. Montreal. So that's why it becomes the Archdiocese. Right, right. And so and, Kingston would have splintered off of Quebec. Toronto would have splintered off of Quebec. right? But because Kingston has remained intact... But Toronto has splintered into uh, Hamilton, London, Peterborough. Right. Or did did uh, was it Upper and Lower Canada at that point? And did Toronto, York splinter off of Kingston? Did Kingston splinter? Kingston would have certainly splintered off of Quebec. And then maybe I'm wondering if, anyhow, we're getting into nitty gritty here. Now, with, with regards to bishops and archbishops, it just means that the bishop is in charge of the diocese and the archbishop is in charge of the archdiocese, correct? More or less. I, I'm going to say for simplicity, I'm going to say correct. Yes. That being said, you and I are blessed that we have both a bishop and an archbishop. 
And again, that comes down to uh, the population density, mm-hmm. the population size that here in Toronto, the Archdiocese of Toronto, and I think mm-hmm. you threw out the number, something like 2 million Catholics. Yeah, it's uh, c- certainly well over a million. 212, I think, parishes or parish. 220 parishes. Yep. All right. So that's just too unwieldy for one archbishop. So he actually has four auxiliary bishops mm-hmm. or that, assistant. That, that yeah. Right. But he would only be the archbishop. So if you're going to get the red hat from the Pope, could he, does he usually go to an archdiocese to choose someone to choose an archbishop as uh, the next cardinal? Or can he go to a diocese? And and I hesitate to say anything. No, he can, it can be from a diocese as well. Mm. And I hesitate to say anything because we have seen with Pope Francis that he hasn't always gone to the traditional diocese yes. or the traditional archdiocese to name cardinals. Mm-hmm. Right, and Which, it's no, and and Robert as well. It's no uh, gimme that if you are the auxiliary bishop of a archdiocese, that you will in fact be the next person in line to be the archbishop. In fact, that rarely follows that route. I believe. Yeah, I mean, most of our auxiliary bishops here from Toronto have gone on to be bishop in other smaller dioceses, places, correct, uh, around Canada. And again, it's it. Lord, a lot of people, when our new Archbishop, Francis Leo, was named, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that he had only been a bishop for less than a year. Was it less than? I thought it was a couple of years. And he he had been named bishop in September, right. and in March he was then Archbishop of Toronto. So he was an and, auxiliary bishop of Montreal. Okay. And then all of a sudden he's Archbishop of Toronto. And no connection to uh, English, Ontario, Toronto, and English-speaking Canada. In fact, a, a immigrant Italian immigrant parents in Montreal. So for him to be appointed to the next, at least, you know, when we think of Cardinal Collins, he had the connection to Guelph just out, you know, an hour west of Toronto growing up. But Archbishop Leo was, yeah, kind of out of left field, I guess. Very much so. Very much so. Um but that being said, who are we to question right. uh, you know, the workings of the Holy Spirit? Who are we to question the, the wisdom of Pope Francis? No, absolutely. So the bishops, the diocese are then in charge of, like I said, 220 parishes where we have a pastor. In many cases, like our church, we're blessed to have an assistant or associate pastor as well. But Robert, why don't you tell our listeners there are two types of priests, and we are talking about diocesan priests, right, who answer to the bishop and who take a vow of celibacy, a vow of chastity, a vow of obedience to the bishop. Do they not take? They do not take a vow of poverty, unlike these other priests. Exactly. So, a diocesan priest are the ones that most of the laity come into contact with on a mm-hmm. regular basis. That is your priest in your your local parish, and as you're saying, they do make the the vow of chastity, right? the vow of celibacy, mm-hmm. uh, vow of obedience to their bishop. Right. But they do Very not important. make a, a vow of poverty. And that was explained, like, say, for example, uh, if they were an only child and their parents pass away and they leave them the house in their mm-hmm. will, that does become their property. They are allowed to have private property. Correct. Now, not that I see many rich priests out there by any means, but you know they can have a bank account. And... Yeah, and we touched upon this before. I mean, they they mm. do draw a very minimal salary. I'm really not sure what that number is. Neither am I. Uh, it probably varies depending on maybe where you are. Exactly. I mean, if anyone wants to know or have kind of an idea about that, 
go back to the magisterium of Google and you just put, you know, pre-salary diocese yeah. of wherever you are, and you'll get some kind of number. Right, right. That'll give you. But let's just say they're not going to be, you know, taking on Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos for richest man in the world. Right, right. Soon. And and they do have a lot of thing covers in, covered in terms of their you know, their board, their room and board, and probably their meals are looked after. They're, they don't have a pension, but we do contribute once a year to the Shepherd's Trust, which goes into looking after the priests, the diocesan priest in the retirement years, correct? Yeah, correct, correct. And I think it's a good thing that, yeah, absolutely. you know, as much as that they don't have that, you know, vow of poverty, but the fact that there isn't means for them to be making millions of dollars, that you know, they're not going to be all wrapped up in the material things, that there is a certain sense of detachment, which then allows them to shepherd their flock that's been entrusted to them. Absolutely. Okay. And speaking of detachment, you know, the other group of priests that are out there who take a vow of poverty, of course, are... The, the priests religious. Priests religious, who you've never really, like you say, you haven't run into on a regular basis. I was blessed enough, and I'm going to a reunion tonight at my old high school, to have the Bazillion priests as the religious order that ran that school for many years. They still have, I believe the principal or president is still there, but they had a lot of teaching staff who gave back their salaries so that they could keep the school going throughout the 60s and 70s and 80s. And uh, I think that was just a beautiful thing that they were able to do that for us very selflessly. Were so you there in the 1680s, 1780s, 1880s, or 1980s? Buddy? The 1980s. Okay. Last, the last good years before it went private and so what you're saying is you went to school a century ago. A century, yeah, I went to school last century. <laughs> there we go. And uh, yeah. so they take a vow of poverty, so they can't actually own anything, right? Everything that they own goes back to the order, and then the superior general will give them permission to. It's, you know, it's held in common, use, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so use a car community. or whatever. So if they got an inheritance, they obviously wouldn't be allowed to keep that, right? Exactly, exactly. And so here we're talking about religious orders. You mentioned the Brazilians, uh, the Franciscans, Dominicans, Jesuits, Jesuits, the Benedictines. And I think that would be a, a fun episode for us to do sometime in the future mm -hmm. is uh, we'll play a little game where we'll go through the initials that are attached and we'll see if we can figure out you know, who it is the that order? we're talking about. Yeah, okay, the order, okay. right? Yeah, so. and they don't usually work in parishes. Sometimes they'll pitch hit in a parish to help out, but for the most part, they they work at high schools, universities, hospitals, correct? Correct. So I'm thinking about that. The chaplain, when I went to high school a century ago, mm -hmm. uh, was a Sacred Heart Father. Sacred Heart, okay. And that yeah. was the name of the school, Sacred Heart. And you would know the Sacred Heart Father because you took I a do. couple courses I with him at the seminary, father, father with John Father Yick. John Yick. Yep. Right. Uh, but you're saying that I know my mother-in-law's parish uh, right now because of the 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 dearth of vocations, the, mm -hmm. the lack of vocations. It's actually Franciscans. Oh, that okay. Are that. So it would throw me off a little bit when we'd be at Mass because uh, the priest who's saying Mass is Father Etienne, but they all call him Brother Etienne. Okay. Because he's a Franciscan brother. And okay. so that comes to kind of the next little bit that you wanted to talk about. The, the difference between a priest and a brother. Yeah. Go. And that's um, something about, first of all, the Franciscans. Funny you should say the Franciscans because that I grew up in Toronto, as you know, and the two of the churches that we attended on a regular basis, Immaculate Conception, which was all those, also the elementary school, and St. Charles Borromeo, mm -hmm. both run by the Franciscans. I do want to get into the... Um, 
the stuff that you just mentioned, but I want to finish off with bishop, priest, and deacon before we can we go? Do you want to go to yeah. that first, or do yeah. you want to? Yeah, just the difference, just what a deacon's role within the parish is, Robert. Because we, first of all, I think a lot of people realize that the deacons can get married, but they take on kind of a different role. I, I want to say almost like an assistant priest. So maybe you can just fill in our listeners as to what their their job is within the parish life. Oh, so much that you've opened up there with that question. Mm-hmm. I we'll, we'll start with the. F- First thing that you mentioned there, as far as the deacons being allowed to get married, and I'm just going to say that depends. Right. That depends. Uh, if, and here we'll talk about, there's two different kinds of diaconate. Oh, sorry. Yes. I forgot. Let's right. briefly mention the transitional diaconate before we get into the permanent. Yeah. So the transitional diaconate is the last year of seminary mm-hmm. before uh, men become a priest. So the tra- transitional diaconate is... It is an ordained state. It is holy orders. Right. So they are ordained. Mm-hmm. And they spend that year in the diaconate before becoming, I don't want to say fully ordained, but before becoming ordained a priest. Mm-hmm. That's to say fully ordained would be at the ordination of a bishop. So okay. the bishop is fully ordained. And then the priest and the deacon, at, mm-hmm. you want to say varying levels of, of ordination uh, from that. So that's the transitional deacon is that transition from seminarian to the priest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. The other deacon, which I think more of us, if there is a deacon in our parish, that uh, would be a permanent deacon. So mm-hmm. someone who uh, is ordained, has received holy orders as a deacon, but are only ever going to stay at that level. They are permanently going to be a deacon. Right. If you enter into the permanent diaconate as a married man, Correct. Obviously, the church is going to say stay married. Like the church mm-hmm. isn't going to say you have to get rid of one sacrament in lieu of the other. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that is one of the very few instances where you can have had, had all seven sacraments, both holy orders as a deacon and yeah. matrimony as a married man. Um, that being said, if you enter into the permanent diaconate before getting married, then you cannot get married afterwards. Correct. And if you're if your wife uh, is, is, is dies while you are a permanent deacon, you cannot get remarried. Correct? You are not to remarry because right. you're then the holy orders uh, would would take over. Okay. Okay. And the way that you would recognize if you're going to mass on Sunday mm-hmm. and there's a priest and a deacon up in the sanctuary for mass, mm-hmm. and the deacon's role during mass is one of service. Right. Um, I don't want to say glorified altar boy or exalted altar boy, but they are one of service during the Mass. Mm -hmm. From time to time, they will preach as well. And actually, it's only for to give a homily at Mass, Mm -hmm. you have to be ordained. So a a deacon, priest, or bishop are the only ones who can preach within a Mass. Right. It's not to say that before the Mass or after the Mass, someone can get up and give a talk. Mm -hmm. Right. Um. But the way to identify the difference between uh, the deacon, the priest, and the bishop, if they're all up and they can all be up in the sanctuary at the same time, uh, is first of all, by their vestments, Mm -hmm. right? The priest and the bishop will wear a chasuble, Mm -hmm. which is a a big rounded poncho, for for lack of a better word. And chasuble, I think, comes from uh, the Latin word for shirt. Right. And that will usually have piping kind of in the shape of a Y. Right? Okay. 
but it's it's rounded. There's no sleeves, and that's how you know the difference with the the Deacon's Dalmatic is it actually has sleeves. Okay. Right. So it'll be more of a T shape when when right. they hold their hands up. You can see the sleeves there, and the piping on that would is usually in the form of an H. Okay. Don't ask why. No clue. Right. All right. So that's how you would recognize the between the three uh, and the. Bishop and what about this? What about would the well, well wear sash too? Well, and then like, the, 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 stole. the stole. The, the, the technical yeah. term is a stole there, yeah. my friend. But no, it's not a stole because when I I know when I think of a stole, but their stole goes like a sash, like correct. So the priest stole will hang over the shoulders and drape. Yeah, and two down down the left right. and right side, where uh, deacons is actually attached together, so it goes diagonally across their. So chest. it looks like a sash, does it not? Thank yes. you. Yeah, the term is a stole, correct? But it does look like a sash. Exactly. Now, what I want to say about those, yes, and he can uh, read the gospel. He must read the gospel. I did not know that. Yeah, if if there is a deacon present, he yes. must read the gospel. The gospel, but he doesn't have to preach. Usually, no. he will give the homily, but he does not have to give it. And what else? He could do other things. Cause he not? So it's a, a a religious uh, marriage without the mass, correct? Yeah, and correct. So the, a deacon can preside at a marriage without the mass. Uh, a deacon could preside at a marriage with a mass, but he would defer to the priest. Yeah, um, because the the priest is there. Uh, really, when we look at marriage, and again, that's a whole other episode too to get into the, yeah. the sacraments. Uh, marriage, the sacrament of marriage is the ministers are actually the husband and wife. Right. And it's the priest or the deacon or the ones that... the witness, yeah. Exactly. And then Uh, what about, and baptism? Baptisms. Correct. Right. So the deacon can uh, legitimately perform a baptism in in the church. But not confession, not preside over mass, not anointing of the sick. Correct. Correct? Yeah. Correct. And obviously, he could be an ordinary minister giving out the Eucharist, but then so could lay people. Well, lay people would be an extraordinary, extraordinary minister yeah. of the Eucharist, and the deacon would be an ordinary a, minister. An ordinary minister, yeah. Good. And uh, payment, yes, depends on the priest, depends I, on the parish. I think it depends on the parish if they get uh-huh. a stipend. Yeah. Uh, and again, that I, I really don't know. And, and so they also have other jobs usually some of them work some of them are retired maybe they work in schools maybe they work as chaplains in hospitals prisons correct correct and so there's again that that call to service and Mm -hmm. that goes back to uh, the acts of the apostles and the first seven deacons that were appointed appointed including uh, saint stephen the first Mm -hmm. martyr they were appointed to do the service of the church, to feed the widows and orphans, so that the bishops, so that the apostles could preach. Yeah. Right. So the the role of the deacon really is one of service. Wow. Been around for that long. Cool. So we've got bishop, priest, and deacon. Anything we've left out? We've left out, first of all, nuns and sisters. We're going to talk about the difference there. And then abbots, monks, etc. I'm thinking this is a whole other ab- uh, a whole mm-hmm. other episode because uh, I mean there's sure. just so much and and when you sent me because uh, I actually though, asked yeah. you to to send this out but yeah right. so just quickly uh, the difference between a nun and a sister go right religious sister nuns are cloistered are they not they're living in a convent correct correct yeah correct and habits that's, not religious sisters much anymore nuns maybe they still wear them maybe they do and i'm not too sure if i think it depends on the yeah. um on the order mm-hmm. and 
I'm whenever I look at that, I think it's a bit of a generational thing. Good point. The the habits both for uh, monks and for religious sisters, and to a certain degree, even priests, clerical garb, clerical vestments seem to have disappeared in the 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. but they seem to be making quite a comeback. Because I'm starting to see more and more priests wear a full cassock, for example, yeah. and the younger religious, male and female, are, are taking up the habit again. Right. So taking, I, I really think Taking that was up a, the habit of the habit. Exactly. <laughs> Mind you, some of the Jesuits I rarely see. Although I, we were at a retreat with our kids there uh, a couple of weeks ago, and the Jesuit was wearing full Roman collar. And, and I don't often see Jesuits, at least the ones I run into with their full Roman collars. So that's maybe one exception to the rule. And again, I think maybe it might, might be generational. Yeah. Right? Is that. Um, and then finally, there's the laity. There's What's you the lady? Oh, that's, okay. Th- yeah, you, you and only the, the lady. The majority, it's only the vast majority of the church, correct? Correct. Yeah, correct. Right. I want to say the lady, not the lazity, because, you know, yes. the, the, though a lot of the lady can get lazy. You are a lay well. person. I am a lay person. We are the lady collectively speaking. Right. And anybody or not ordained is considered the laity, correct? Correct. Correct. We forgot the brothers, religious brothers. Okay. So the difference between a religious priest and a religious brother mm-hmm. is the ordination. Right. right. So the difference between saying father and brother, brother. coming back to the, the priest at my mother-in-law's mm-hmm. church in my confusion where they call him brother, where actually they should be calling him father, even though he is a priest in a religious priest. order. Yeah. Um calling him brother and still that father is not respecting his mm-hmm. ordination. Right, right. Yeah, that's so they they would take a vow of poverty and they would take a vow of obedience, or guess, or uh, obedience, probably obedience to the superior of the order, but they exactly. would not have ordination. They wouldn't obviously say mass or hear confession or anything like that. Correct? Uh, the brothers, brothers. correct. Yeah, the, yeah. the priests within a religious order, yes, yeah. but the brothers, no. And you just touched briefly on that there. Again, that vow of obedience is to the superior, superior of the religious order right. who is, has a vow of obedience to the Pope, whereas at the diocesan level, again, where most of us are, are used to, mm-hmm. you know, it's to the pastor, to the bishop, to the archbishop in our case, uh, to the, the conference of Catholic bishops within mm-hmm. the country, and then to Rome. So it's just a a different Different. route in the the hierarchy chain. There's still obedience there somewhere, isn't there? That's for sure. But listen, buddy, you wanted us to get out of here quickly. Yeah, I know. You threw out probably the most complicated, longest uh, list of things you wanted to talk about. I know. I'm following in your footsteps. We tried to condense, but it's hard to condense when you're talking about stuff like this. And it's really interesting too, isn't it, Robert? We're just dense, period. Yeah, but <laughs> condense. Speaking <laughs> of dense, do you have a saintly thing. saying for us? I was going to say, stuff? speaking of dense, it's neither one of our hair line, but that's... Uh, <laughs> do you have like, a nice saintly saying for us this uh, week, Robert? Yeah, so I started talking earlier about my father-in-law and... It was as I was doing my devotional reading, and a few episodes ago when we spoke about spiritual dryness, we spoke mm-hmm. about doing spiritual reading, and I tried to read daily a couple pages from St. Francis de Sales' uh, Introduction to the Devout Life. Right. 
And I came across this one quote, and right away I thought of my father-in-law. Because my father-in-law, God bless him, he just turned 89. uh, If we can all make it to 89. But having worked a life of construction, his body has taken a beating. And so he puts up with a lot of physical pain now Mm -hmm. at his age. Right, especially with his knees and his and his feet, um, but he never complains. He never That's complains. Nice. He he is very stoic. Uh, he's always joy filled. Um, you know, he always sees the the positive in life. And so, when I read this quote from Saint Francis de Sales, I, I thought of my father in law, Senor Anton. Right, and so Saint Francis de Sales writes. A person who complains commits a sin by doing so, since self-love always feels that injuries are worse than they really are. Mm, That's really good, Robert. Read that one more time. A person who complains commits a sin by doing so, since self-love always feels that injuries are worse than they really are. Right. That's good pause for that's good pause for us, especially in this day and age when we've got wars going on all over the world, and we're so co- quick to complain about the little things in life. That um, that speaks to us. I th- I certainly think in the West when we, you know, are very quick to you know if something doesn't go wrong at the supermarket or the bank, or we're just complaining about these little things. In the grand scheme of things, they don't really matter. We shouldn't be complaining about that. One more yeah. time, I was going to say, what's the expression? First world problems. First world problems, that's exactly like I know I, a lot of times after I've been moaning and groaning about something and complaining, if I'm a little bit retrospective mm-hmm. uh, and I, I kind of go, you know, no, I really have nothing to complain about. No, absolutely. I really have nothing to complain oh. about. And was talking with people at the office the other mm-hmm. day, too, because I, I arrived in from the school and, you know, someone asked, you know, how are you doing? And, and when someone asks me how I'm doing, the answer is always blessed. Yeah. I'm blessed. Yeah. Right. And someone said, we're going to really have to ask then the first time Robert doesn't say he's blessed. I said, no, I say I'm blessed even when I don't feel blessed to remind myself that I am. That you are. Absolutely. Right. Like in those days yeah. where I'm feeling really, really miserable, mm-hmm. instead of complaining, I say I'm blessed because I'm reminded that I'm not. Because you still and, are. Yeah. I, yeah. Sorry. I still am. And so a little bit further on, I just wanted to add to this quote from St. Francis de Sales, because, uh, you know, it, just read that one just before you read for just read that one more time. So really I'll, I'll read the first part yep. and then I'm going to add a second part. To yeah, it. sure. Okay. So a person who complains commits a sin by doing so since self-love always feels that injuries are worse than they really are. And then about a page later, he writes, your sufferings are not comparable to Christ's either in quality or quantity. You can never suffer for his sake anything equal to what he has suffered for you. Mm -hmm. And I read that and I just went, wow, your sufferings sufferings are not comparable to Christ, either in quality or quantity. Absolutely. That would be a given though, wouldn't it? I don't think anybody would think that in some way they're suffering like Christ. I think I think but we'd be maybe. surprised. I think we'd yeah, be surprised. Maybe you're right. Right. Maybe you're and right, so right. at the end of the day, it's like buck up little camper. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Suck it up kind of thing, eh? Was it suck it up buttercup? Yeah. Right. Suck it up buttercup. That's right. Yeah. Nice. Nice, Robert. St. Francis de Sales. Pray for us. Yeah. What have you got um, for us, sir? Uh right around the same time, I want to say, sixteen mm-hmm. hundreds. St. Charles Borromeo. Mm-hmm. 
Council of Trent. Um, be sure that you first preach by the way you live. Very simple. 100%. Because people are going to follow us by our actions. People are going to fall in love with Christ by our actions. Because we can preach Christ and we can say everything we want about the Christian life. But if we don't follow it up with deed, people are going to call us out on just kind of blowing a lot of hot air. And they should too, Robert, should they not? Oh, very much so, very yeah. much so. Yeah. And, actually, and it's I, tough. And I think that, that that gives us a good sense, sorry, Robert, in a sense that oh. I, I I like the fact that we do this show and we try to live pretty good lives. We're, we're both sinners. We know that. But it keeps us uh, uh, very much in the realization that we can go on here and wax on eloquently, but if we're not living a half decent life, then you know what we're saying doesn't really matter because our actions aren't living up to the, our words, are they? Oh, exactly. And thinking of that and working with our, our young children in the parish to prepare yeah. them for their first reconciliation next week. Uh, we were watching a video. I think it was one of the Brother Francis videos we were watching. Mm-hmm. And there's this little scene where there's this guy struggling with all these boxes that he's carrying. You can see that he's got this heavy load and he's juggling and it's awkward. Mm-hmm. And this other guy walks up to him and says, you know, hi, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to hurt you. And keeps on walking. And the guy's kind of going, yeah, what kind of Christian are you? Okay, you came up and told me that, but. but you, you know, didn't help me. Land a brother a hand here, right? Oh, geez, that's funny. Right? It, yeah. But it, it makes a great point. Yeah. It makes a great point. And again, read that quote over again, because yeah, in its simplicity, it's so profound. It is, isn't it? Yeah, in its simplicity. Be sure that you first preach by the way you live. Yeah, no, I, I love that because again, it's it's our actions, our witness that is going to be that witness of Christ's love to the world long before we ever open our mouth. Absolutely, and sometimes you know we obviously need to open our mouths. We need to say certain things to certain people at certain times. But first and foremost, we need to be sure that we pre- first preach by the way you live. Right. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. Now, Dennis. It is time yeah, for your favorite time. part of the show. It is time for what? In the church is that. And now it's time for what in the church is that? Where Dennis tries to stump Robert. Hmm. Do you, is this where the music, I heard the music's really good at this point. I should listen to our show once in a while, right? <laughs> You make me laugh. Your friend did a good job. Uh, my son mentioned that, that your friend did an excellent job with the music at this time. Oh, thank you. you and, right and, Rob, and Rob says thank you. We gave him a shout out the last time and it, uh, yeah, he heard did. that and he gave us a public sh- uh, thank you for that. So. Excellent. Well, he did And an he said thank job. you to everybody for your prayers for his daughter, Jordan, uh, who is very much on the mend uh, from her broken hip. So oh, that's thank excellent. Thank you on behalf yes. of Rob. But yes. buddy, what in the church is that? What have you got for me today? What was I was I supposed to get something for you today? Yeah. That's where I like to trick you. And what was I supposed to get? Okay, I have something here. Now you're gonna say we had that. No, we didn't. I think you mentioned that when I mentioned something else. I mentioned a I, lot of stuff. Yeah. So you go on to a whole uh monologue of different parts of one outfit. If I say alb, and then you'll talk to me about Chausable and other things. So ask, okay, I'm gonna be quiet here while I say it. 
What is the, and correct me if I'm mispronouncing it. You're mispronouncing the, it. The cincture. This, okay, the cincture. 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 So we never had it. You might have no. mentioned it, but we didn't actually have this one. Did, I'm trying to think. Did we mention it? I don't know if we mentioned no, it. No, I think I'd mentioned Alb or Chausable, and you had gone in and, and kind of maybe mentioned it briefly, but I didn't actually get this one too. Because I See, I'm surprised you're I'm surprised you're asking about the cincture because Mr. Duolingo there, anyone who speaks one of the Latin languages like french portuguese spanish or italian should Which be able to get that as right. you know that's why i'm still Monsieur duolingo you know what's it you know how many days of french duolingo do you do you have 780 not that it's helping but go you on. didn't let me finish here how many days of duolingo french duolingo do you have under your belt here sir yeah 780 but yeah and that's uh, not that long not not to throw out any hints to the answer right mm-hmm and uh, as much as your hairline is receding, I think your belt line is expanding. Okay, he's getting there. He's getting really hot. <laughs> no, my belt line, I bought a new pair of jeans and it looks like I'm shrinking. I'm no longer a 34. I might be a 33. I okay. haven't been a 33 since I was like 12. Yeah, but that's, a, that's a whole other thing. That's another. Why don't you get a little closer to the microphone there, sir, so you can yeah. belt it out? Cincture. Ceinture, the belt. So the cincture. Oh, belt it out. I get it. It's it's only taken five references and he's finally getting it, right? Yes. So the the cincture, or we would say in French, ceinture. Ceinture. Is a rope belt that the priest would wear around his alb, but under the chasuble. Correct. Uh, Only, but there's an if, Robert. I didn't realize this. I've got an if. Oh, Can you finish what's, off? What's the, the, what's I'm giving the if? I'm giving you the full marks, of course. But what, the way I read this, the cincture is worn around the alb if it does not fit closely to the body. So, is it a mandatory piece of apparel? I believe it would be, but I mean, you're you're saying the if, so at that point, mm. I'm saying it, it 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 wouldn't be. But I would say it is part of the the mandatory part of the apparel. When the priest is vesting before mass, right. uh, he's saying prayers for each part of the vestments, and there is uh, a prayer for the belt. Uh, don't ask me what it is, and I don't know if you have in your notes there what the belt represents. And when we put on the 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 armor of God, is it the oh, belt okay. of right the belt of righteousness? I nice, can't nice. I can't remember. Someone mm-hmm. can correct me on that. Um, so there, there's that part of it. Uh, the monastic orders. Like, for example, the Franciscans, in their cincture, they'll have three knots to remind them of their vows. Interesting. Uh, of poverty, chastity, and obedience. They actually so not just knots. the monastic orders, not all religious will have those, even though they take the same three. Maybe? I'm mm-hmm. really not 100% okay. sure on okay. that. And so, I don't know, I'll just say, I, I could say yes or no, but then I'm just making it up as I go along. And mm-hmm. our, our listeners deserve better than just for me to be making stuff up. Are they all that colorful or are they all just plain? Usually I see just white, but I see okay. you're holding up, they have all the different liturgical colors. So, it yeah. could, you know... Uh, be for right. each liturgical season, but because it usually yeah. goes around the white alb, right? It usually is it's white. white. And I'm only seeing one knot there, but yeah, you mentioned the three knots. But yes, good job, Robert. Once again, correct. So I have two quick shout outs, nice. um, and I want them to be quick. They could open up into to broader discussions, mm-hmm. but we've already been talking long enough here. 
Uh, so the first shout out I have is to the, the gentleman at St. John Chrysostom Parish in Newmarket mm-hmm. at the five o'clock Saturday Vigil Mass, okay. who during both the processional and the recessional bowed to the priest who is walking in and out in persona Christi. Mm. Right. Uh, this is something I've heard uh, is done. This is something that I try to do. Uh, it's not a bowing to the man, father, mm-hmm. whoever, who's coming in and out. It really is reverencing to Christ who is entering and leaving the Mass. Nice. Um, so just a shout out to that gentleman who also takes up uh, that very ancient practice of, of bowing to Christ at the mass. But again, that's something we can talk about. And I think we should talk about another episode. We should talk about it. It'd be interesting to know the history of that. Absolutely. Not not just that aspect, but just how how to bring reverence back to the mass. Mm -hmm. But again, that's, we've babbled long enough. My second shout out uh, is to my good friend, Louise. Uh, I received a text from her earlier this week, just out of the blue. Uh, There's a chapel where she works at. She works at South Down which is just north of of Newmarket, which is um, a hospital for for priests and religious uh, who are suffering uh, from different uh, health issues. Mm -hmm. And so she she works there. And I got this text out of the blue. I'm at work. I'm in the chapel before the Blessed Sacrament. What are your prayer intentions? Wow. Right. And right there. Yeah, just just floored that like we we all need to have those friends that uh, will go and take our intentions before the Blessed Sacrament for Very us nice. at, yes. at any given moment, right? So uh, I was just like I said, just very very floored um, that she would do that and that she sent that message to let me know. That's so nice. How about yourself, sir? Any yeah, shout-outs? I got one quick. Uh, no, a couple of quick ones. Uh, my middle. Child, my daughter, starting a new job on Monday. So I'm excited about that. So Kira starts a new job at the local library. Congratulations, Kira. Yeah, so hopefully things work out there. My uh, wife, my sister-in-law, and our uh, most loyal listener, my mother-in-law, are on a cruise this week. As you know, Robert, they're in the Caribbean cruising while I'm suffering in the cold up here. So we just wish them a a great week uh, on the cruise doing Grand Cayman Island and a few other islands in the Caribbean. So Godspeed to Mrs. Coop, Paula, and Andrea. And Andrea. Godspeed. Will she be able to get the podcast on the cruise ship? That's something that we should look into. So it, it's internet based. So if they have internet, then she yeah, should I be think able it's to pretty get... sketchy down there. So we'll have to wait till they get on an island. Maybe if they go to Cuba. No, that probably won't work. And the final one was <laughs> the one I just mentioned to you about. We had a photographer at the school. She was taking pictures. She was about to begin. Her name was Brianna, great photographer, young girl. And she said, and this kind of made me feel a little bit old. And I was thinking, and you especially, even Just one person saying something made you feel old. I thought when you rolled out of bed, you felt old. And she said, my grandmother listens to your podcast all the time. And I've mentioned her before. I gave a shout out to Lynn in Whitby, who's a loyal listener. And it was her grand daughter talking about her grandmother listening so we do have we do have a lot of listeners maybe they're a little bit you know so what you're saying is is we're kind of top of the charts with all of the The grandmothers all the (laughs) The grandmothers out there crowd is just tuning in (laughs) but whether or not we've got the younger crowd well yeah we've got we're well you would know what kind of no you don't get a demographic you get where we're the the 
numbers where we're from. I was picking that up through the Apple podcast page, but I yeah. forgot the login for that. So I really have no idea anymore. Well, you have to check to see if our Rhode Islanders are still. Oh, that uh, that in. kind of stuff I see. Okay, yeah. Rhode, Rhode, Rhode Island is there. Iowa has been big of late Iowa's too. Big. And, and yeah. California. Like Keith, California. They're just chilling in California with a Pinot Nothing. Noir listening to our show. Nothing better to do on the beach than listen to the Pints and Pews. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they got some nice weather. And Rhode Island and Iowa, not so much now. Like us, getting a little cold. California, especially the South, nice. But that's all I got today, sir. Very good, very good. So, Dennis, as always, the te- time seems to have flown by, and my hourglass is just about empty here. You always, you're always able to say that, almost or just about, and it is. And I can never say that because if you look at my hourglass yours is yours was empty at the half hour point mine's bone dry but that being said i'm usually the one that blathers on a lot longer than you how was the peroni it was excellent it was really good yeah i like that i'm gonna get that again robert and your stout from brooklyn smooth smooth yeah it was yeah just beautifully smooth like velvet good stout it was velvet on the palate yeah, the so, thing about the stouts is you can't have six in a row. Mind you, at our age, we can't really have six in a row of any beers, but especially like a stout. Two I have beers. enough problem with one in a row. But yeah, that's... especially late at night. But we won't get into that now. Yeah. Um, but it's always been a ple- it's always a pleasure, Robert. Both the pint and the conversation, especially the pints, as we were just saying. Very true, very true. But just before we wrap up, perhaps there's just one small favor we could ask of our listeners. If you could take a quick moment and a couple of clicks to follow the Pines and Pews podcast on your favorite platform, give us a review, or while you're at it, give us a like on Facebook and drop us a line there or at pintsandpews at gmail.com. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners. And we'll chat again soon, my friend. And if you could also stop by catholicmoment.ca and peruse and check out our Pints and Pews caps some of Robert's books, and soon to be coming very shortly, Pint, Pipe, and Cross t-shirts. And don't forget to use the coupon code ADVENT2023 to get 20% off anything in the Pints and Pews CatholicMoments.ca store. Not Dennis's great. No. no. Now finally, Dennis, why don't you remind our listeners of the wise words of G.K. Chesterton that are soon to appear on our t-shirts. Right. In Catholicism, the pint, the pipe, and the cross can all fit together. God bless. Take care, my friend.